0: You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time.
1: This is going to be more fun than I realized.
2: (laughs) Just me trolling Seth the whole time. The whole time. (laughs) Oh, no. Well,
1: this is exciting.
2: Welcome back to Fathoms,
0: everybody. My name is Creek, and I have with me one of my co-hosts, Drew. Is I think in Ecuador still, or maybe he's in West Virginia, or he's who a knows traveling where he is. machine these days. Something's yeah. going on. So this topic came up uh, the other day. I was I was speaking with my housemates about some some topics and about kind of our theme this year, and uh, I have. The um, one of the halves, probably the lesser half of the two, with us today. <laughs> I would agree. Um, <laughs> I would very much agree. <laughs> Jason Rop. Jason Rop. How are you doing?
2: I am doing wonderful.
0: Yes, uh, Jason Rops. No Rops. Jason Rops knows many of my secrets. So thank goodness that they'll be editing after this. <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> what, what did you what did you tell me that the ROPS? What's the role they play in your life? The two roles. So, kind of? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. Told you.
0: Before this season ends, <laughs> we will be having uh, Seth and his wife and Drew and his wife on, and I'll be interviewing them both. So this is the equivalent of the collective wife of the movie. <laughs> 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 uh,
1: it's the closest uh, we, we got
0: that. of uh, someone who knows me way too well and sees me as I wake up in the morning. So,
2: um, <laughs> I really anyways. thought of it more as like a, a parental role. Like, you know, we, <laughs> you we're said up that late too, at night actually. and we, we send text messages like, are you coming home tonight? Should it's we leave the, the door unlocked and the light on?
0: That's actually true. <laughs> Before we jump into the topic, uh, Jason, can you give us a quick overview of your life, what you like to do, um, your relationship to the enneagram, all that stuff.
2: Sure. So, you know, most relevant as we hinted at, Seth has lived with us here for I think almost 2 years now. Yeah. Uh, he was our housemate through the pandemic, which has been which has been really delightful. Yeah, and we see each other a lot because I work from home. I'm a software developer, but also a musician. I spent a lot of time on the road trying to get back to that now. And in terms of my relationship with the Enneagram, I would, I would say it's uh, been a pretty trans- transformational tool for me. I can't say I'm remotely an expert, but uh, just some of the language around what it's like to be a five, which you, you probably pick up very much that I am. <laughs> uh, has has just been really helpful f- in terms of learning how to take off that mask that I'm wearing. Pretty pretty early on in learning about it, I saw a little snippet with Richard Rohr talking about fives, and when he said that the visual representation between the four and the five, the head and the heart, is the largest gap on the enneagram, my immediate thought was, "Well, I need to get to work." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's probably been the biggest way that that journey's played played itself out in terms of how do I learn to access my emotions and express them and mm. let them be a part of of what I'm about and what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been really great. I mean, one of the reasons that I that invited Jason on is he is he is widely studied and uh loves to pick things apart and so when i get in my own when i get in my own way uh when i get in my own way i I just bring the problem to jason and he tears it to pieces and then i cry a little bit and then and then all is well so uh this brings us to the the topic that we're wanting to discuss today as it relates to story and the language of dropping your stories jason when you first hear the term dropping your stories what what comes to mind and maybe the the problems with that phrasing or the potential downfalls of using that.
2: Yeah. I, I think a lot of what comes to mind is actually a lot of people's faces mm. and people who I've seen eager and excited to drop certain stories and after doing so just get into a lot of a lot of damaging territory. You know, it can be hard on on marriages, on relationships, in lots of different ways. So, so it's people primarily that I'm thinking of. And, mm. you know, I, I think it was 2008 when I was in college, and I was actually getting a, a pastoral studies degree. I'm not a pastor at this point, but that's the degree I was working on. And that was really, I think, kind of the early edge of a lot of shifts within people of faith, and this was some of the language that came up from that, you know, and now 10 years later, there have been some good things, I think, that have come out of that, but also some destructive things, depending on on how people went through it. So, when I hear, like, absolute language, like, completely dropping something and never considering it again, I saw people go through a process that was convenient for them and really helpful for them at the time because it's just something you don't have to think about or worry anymore. Mm. But then over time, you start to realize how that story was also helpful and Mm -hmm. also supporting them. And they left it behind without moving into something that gave them new handles for how to move forward. And some people did, but uh, a lot of people just got excited about the first half of that and thought it would be all good. And it, in some cases, really didn't end so well.
1: If I'm hearing you correctly, you know, I don't have as much context as it sounds like the other Seth might for some of the things you're alluding to. But if I'm hearing you correctly, are are you kind of addressing how sometimes, you know, certain stories that we we might be living, once they become unhelpful for us, there's a way that people can tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater and not realize that it, that's also just as unhelpful, just a different version with different clothes on is what you were doing previously. Is that at oh, all what you're addressing? Definitely. Okay.
2: Definitely. And, and in fact, that's, that's an interesting way to put it because I think, I think a lot of what uh, I've seen more recently is that people thought they were leaving behind a way of operating and, mm-hmm. They were actually just leaving behind a certain set of ideas, but carried with them that same way of operating. So, in in the case of faith, I've seen a lot of people who left behind religion, but not religiousness, and they just reapplied it with totally. a different set of ideas.
1: You're still mm-hmm. fundamentalistic with different uh, ideas, external behaviors. Yeah, yeah, with different ideas. Yeah. yeah,
0: this. So this kind of, I think it's important for us to talk about this because when when we were having this conversation on the dinner table it was it was something that i hadn't really thought about cuz because i know what i mean when i say knowing what stories to drop but for some it becomes it becomes spiritual bypassing it becomes it's kind of trying to destroy the ground you're standing on and when when in reality there you you can't help the ground that you've already walked on like there there is no blowing up where you've already been mm-hmm. and and where you are now is because of where you've been and there is no changing that um as as much as it maybe was unhealthy and toxic and all that other stuff that this isn't a positive reframing of it either i'm not i'm not saying you need to completely disregard the harm that was caused by by some belief or some system but it is also What i'm trying to get at is integration how do we continue moving vertically and not just keep horizontally moving from idea to idea with with the underlying assumption of more just more fundamentalism
1: there's a developmental concept that that we use sometimes that looks at say for example first grade through 12th grade and how each one of those stages are developmentally incredibly important for how you get to the next stage. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to understand third grade without second grade and first grade, right? Or fifth grade or, or sixth or whatever. And you can kind of look at that actually in the same way as, uh, as someone develops and grows mentally, spiritually, emotionally as well. And how it's really unhelpful to kind of look back at one of those previous stages you were in in life and say, well, that was all dumb and only dumb and I will never, you know, look back at that uh, in in a helpful or good light ever. You know, to sort of negate that is to negate how you got to where you are now, which is incredibly unhelpful. Although I will say, it is an important and very common aspect of what people are doing these days, especially because certain Structures in life, you know, the the more identified you become with them, the more the harder it is to let go of those things. And then, when life becomes bigger or more difficult than your previous way of engaging the world or understanding it, then it then it makes sense that you need to walk away from something for a period of time uh, because it's it's it hurts. It's you know it's very difficult. But in what it actually looks like to to uh, um, develop a healthy system, you have to also reintegrate that previous stage at some point. And so this, yeah. this, uh, this model that we, that I'm kind of alluding to, the language is about it, it says to transcend and include. So we're, you know we're talking about the stories of dropping them out or throwing them out and I actually think the language can be pretty helpful because sometimes we have to like kill them off for a period of time but at the same time that is what also develops your shadow like if you don't learn to reintegrate that and reframe it and see it in a in some compassionate light at some point as a part of your story then that also will be what undermines you in your near future again in any way you know yeah so there's this there's this term in in psychology called a coherent narrative so when you are especially with with uh, adults and uh, like seeing your parents say for example you had a really unhealthy poor relationship with your parents at some point you start to make sense of the fact that they had their own trauma too and they did the best they could with what they had and it's not that you say okay well now it's fine you know Mm -hmm. whatever but you 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 uh you build a coherent narrative you make sense of the fact that they did you know the best they could and i don't accommodate or say it was okay but now i understand that that was that was a part of the story, and now I am be- you know what I am today because of that. and I can look backwards now with compassion rather than only yeah. disdain.
2: Well, and, and you win if you do that. because right. there, is, there is this tendency to look back towards places I've been that I've left with arrogance. Mm. But mm-hmm. yeah. arrogance prevents me from learning anything from it. One of my favorite definitions of, of arrogance is the inability to learn from somebody. Like, that means I have arrogance towards them. Yeah. And there was actually a a situation where one of those places that I had left, I actually had to go back and apologize to somebody. And I just said, look, I'm arrogant towards you. I don't feel like I have anything to learn from you. And I know that that's wrong, but it feels so true. And since doing that, it's actually freed up a lot of stuff internally where now I can actually continue to learn from that place and continue to integrate it into my Mm -hmm. life now in a way that makes me healthier. You know, one of of my favorite uh, lines from C.S. Lewis is is why he he thinks it's important to read old books because the past has different blind spots than you do. Hmm. And there's this tendency to see the blind spots of the past but also the past can see your blind spots in a unique way. And so as you transcend something and then integrate it, like you really do get to win, but that but that is hard work. It takes it takes humbling yourself to say, "Oh, I do have something to learn from that thing that also did legitimately hurt me or gave me some wonky
1: ideas." Hmm. I do think there comes uh, a point in time when something that was working for you uh, becomes now the exact hindrance that is keeping you from moving forward. And so yeah. that thing needs to be left behind for a period of time so that you can gain space from it and see it clearly, right? And then once you have enough space from it, then you can actually start having some clarity around it. Because otherwise, you know, it's that thing that's just too close. To, if you feel triggered by it, right? This is this is why even I think a lot of people who go through we'll, we'll just say faith deconstructions, it is a, a lot of it is just simply not simply, but a lot of times it's words that are primarily the difficult thing, like certain phrases or certain terminology that you have to distance yourself from and stop using those words because they just you know or even spaces like i don't feel comfortable in certain areas that i used to but also, after you live yeah. enough life yeah. yeah after you live enough life outside of those you can actually return i think to those spaces with a new version of yourself that can reframe and also i think reclaim why that space could be helpful for you now it's the same mm-hmm. way of looking looking back at like second grade yeah that was I needed second grade, you know, that's a really, there are things back then that I can actually, there's an aspect of that kind of thinking or the valuable parts of that set, that that age, that I still can engage in and I need, and I need that perspective, you know? And now that I'm farther away from it, it's not as triggering as it once was, and I can still, and I can value it now.
0: It's making me think of an analogy of like high school reunions, dropping the story Is about going back to your high school reunion and realizing that you're not in high school anymore and realizing hey there's there's still there's obvious connections here there's still dynamics here there's like i can appreciate the things i learned here both what to do and what not to do what what breakup hurt uh what friendship was really fulfilling but the like the trope of going back and just being scared that you're your high school self again and all Everyone will be judging you and your accomplishments. That's that's the example of you're still holding on to that version of yourself when you're not even you're like far removed from that high school. But you're able to re-enter that in a way that is gaining gaining perspective and celebration of how far you've come.
1: Yeah, it's a part of you as well. You know, it's not all of you anymore, but that part of you is how you can meet anyone in that space now too. It is, I think, what compassion is kind of built on. Empathy, I, I would say, actually. How yeah. do you meet somebody where they are? You remember your version of being feeling that way. And now I can, I can meet that person because I was there as well at one point in time, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: To circle back to the times when you are leaving somewhere, I, I think a really important part of that process is how you do it. And... I, I think, you know, looking back over the past decade, one of the the things that I wish would have been more clearly communicated is that, yes, this is necessary, but there's also a cost. And especially with how you do it, there's potentially a huge cost. And so, even though you might need to get out of some place and go somewhere else, there is is still a sense of that that how you leave is going to have to be accounted for at some point point. Mm-hmm. and so you can be really kind to your future self if you leave as kindly as you can and if you don't tie up everything you know too tightly with a bow you know leave things a little bit open because there are things that you know when, when we talked about having having a the ability to go back and learn from those spaces, there are things that that if you leave and say, I would never think that again, uh, you're going to make it harder for yourself to get back to that. Because there are things that I thought I was going to be leaving behind that I went back to and mm. continue to, to integrate. And some of them were a lot harder to get to, simply because I said I would never.
1: Yeah, I don't know if, if you have the capacity to integrate something from the past without finding your ability to see it compassionately for for what it was in the moment, hmm. for why it was at one point helpful, and also making sense of why it became a hindrance to you too. Hmm. I, know, yeah.
2: I know Richard Rohr says this with, with uh, first, second half of life stuff, that it's easier for somebody who grew up in a more constrained culture to move into second half of life. At least that's been his experience simply because you, you, you're doing things in the right order. Like the first half of life, there's that, that hardening, that creating of that shell. And, and part of that ego process is also bumping into almost arbitrary rules that remove you as the center of the universe. Mm. And so he said, somebody growing up in a more, even frustratingly fundamental place is having to start with that type of work. Whereas if you grew up like in a hippie commune in the Northwest, like you're going to have to go back and do that work. And, you know, before you can move on to that, that second half of life, that line actually was really helpful for me in getting to some of that appreciation where it's like, Oh, this is what some of that was for. Mm -hmm. And, I'm glad I got to do things in that order even though parts of it were not fun or just really painful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, If we're we're looking at stuff from like the first half of, second half of life idea, like a practical way of navigating this, if we're, one way I like to frame this up is, if the first half of life is looking at, let's say, the Ten Commandments as like a list of rules, and then, you know, you, you keep growing up and you keep growing up, and, a list of rules then becomes like a, a big hindrance to that's not what real health looks like by just adhering to uh, righteous rules, you know, in order to be okay. You kind of have to begin to drop that perspective or that yeah. version of understanding. Uh, but the second half of life would say that's cool and fine and all that. That's how you previously understood the Ten Commandments, but now from a second half of life it's it's more of a an invitation these are 10 invitations for flourishing which is a very different way of looking at it but that's how you can reclaim say the ten commandments and i think there's ways that is like you have to step back from those things for a period of time in order to reengage something from where you are now hmm. and I but, I but i think that's that's one way to actually do that
0: i think kind of circling the conversation back a little bit more towards enneagram is i'm thinking through just my my arc of development as a 4 and the the striving constantly to to feel special to feel unique or distinct if i was just about burning that story and dropping that story it would be about convincing myself that i wasn't special and i wasn't unique but the integration of that story is yeah is decentering myself and then realizing that actually, no, I am special. I am unique, not because I'm trying to, or because I do this, or because I do that, but because because I'm a human, and I and I and I have a very, I have a specific way of viewing the world that no one else has, and that's true of every human. So there has to be a a decentering and then a recentering with the context of the whole, mm-hmm. um, and so as far as enneagram enneagrammatic journey i think that is people try to work against their strategy against their type pattern and it's like no your type pattern is telling you your specific view on the on, on life and so how do you how do you both drop the obsession over making that happen and step into the truth of of your skill of your strategy
2: can can you give me an example say through the lens of a 5
1: Maybe one way to say it is um, a maladaptive understanding of how to get what the five is looking for, which is detachment. Trying to feel detached is how I feel okay and safe, and uh, you know, I do that by gathering information, and that's how I make my way in the world and participate in the world. Uh, but what what if that is just an imitation of the thing you're really after is non attachment, which is very different, like. I think fives. It's pretty simple for them to confuse detachment with actually healthy boundaries. Big healthy go. boundaries and detachment are very different. Boundaries are less at that at which something stops, but that at which something healthy can begin. So it's having a, a healthy. Where do I? How do I participate? Actually, without being completely detached, I guess.
2: Well, what it, what it's what it's prompting for me is a little bit tangential, but the, uh, again, going back to the idea of how you leave and why you leave and why you drop a story. And sometimes it can feel really clear to you. Like you have a really strong narrative as to why this story doesn't work for you and why you're leaving it. And I, I think sometimes we get a little too, uh, sure about why we're doing something. And, there have been times where I have left uh, ideas or places behind, but what I was actually trying to do was the thing you were talking about, which is to detach myself because Mm. I didn't know how to create healthy boundaries. And so I left for those maladaptive reasons, and then also left wonderful ideas behind that took me a long time to get back to. Mm. And, and it's, it's hard to know in the moment. So like, I'm not going to fault anybody for missing, missing these things. And I want to be kind to my, my past self for, for missing some of those things. But again, just going back to, to why or how you leave somewhere, just leaving that a little more of an open question, I think can just save you a whole lot of pain. It's just so tempting to try to to consolidate all our motives into a nice, neat narrative, and it's mm-hmm. it's just not that. It's always just a mix of wonderful things and healthy things, and some maladaptive and painful and destructive things. That's mm-hmm. just always in the mix.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, growing, real growth, uh, real transformation doesn't look like cutting off parts of yourself. It looks like <laughs> it looks like figuring out how to increase your capacity i think like growing more of you
0: it's it's almost like the idea of pruning right if if you don't like the direction a branch is going you don't cut down the tree you cut off the branch and and then that branch can decompose and you and be used as fuel to continue growing the direction that you want to grow
1: There's a quote I came across earlier today that I thought might be helpful. There's a person named Tori Aleto who said, People always ask me, how do I change something I know is unhealthy for me? And my response is, by understanding why you are choosing it in the first place. So, I think along the lines of, you know, uh, story and, and knowing what stories to drop, we can we can wait until that story or that narrative that unhelpful and unhealthy and limited narrative kind of becomes a massive hindrance and we have to it feels like we have to you know kind of chuck the whole system out the baby with the bathwater mm. or we can start to do some proactive work now about what unhealthy narratives are running the show that we're maybe not all that aware of you know mm. the ones that we're using maladaptively without knowing it the ones that you know, the same, we're we're getting caught in the same patterns relationally over and over. What are Mm -hmm. the stories behind that? What are the, yeah, why are we choosing the same patterns that we, on some level, know are not helpful for us in the first place? Uh, Yeah, so I think, what does it look like to uncover those narratives? How do we do that?
2: Like, where I want to go is to kind of get underneath that one layer and work back up to it in the sense that I think my experience has been a little bit rare in the sense that there were a lot of key people at key times who were absolutely fine with my really hard questions. And so, even as I moved, uh, moved and changed certain beliefs, there were people along the way who didn't necessarily believe that, but they weren't, they weren't freaking out when I asked those questions. And part of that was kind of by accident. So, you know, it's a little bit of success bias to to go back and say, well, I, I arranged this. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think the thing that I can learn from that is that if you have people in your life that you cultivate that how they carry where they're at and what they think and how they believe, that they they just have a lot more of an open hand about that, that mm-hmm. can save you a lot of pain. And and I think take the pressure off in a way that you can find the things that that are no longer helpful, and even to say like no longer helpful is, is a weird thing for me. Like how how I think about belief is that it's not something we have a, a great deal of control over. We have we can shape it. And it can change, but it's not like a light switch that we can just say, okay, now I believe this. And I'm really actually suspicious of anybody who says, like, mm. oh, well, I dropped that belief. It's like, no, you didn't. You're just stating out loud this new thing. And maybe eventually you will believe this, but mm. I don't think that's how belief works. And and so those stories that are no longer working, another way to say that is something you finally realized you don't believe anymore. I, if I can if I can draw an analogy with, um, I used to be a guitar teacher, and my guitar students, they would just like slowly progress week over week over week, and they wouldn't see change. They wouldn't see growth. They would say, I'm not getting any better. And because I'm seeing them in weak increments, like I'm seeing the shifts, but their lived experience relative to the previous days, they're not getting any better until eventually there's some kind of benchmark moment where they go, oh my gosh, I could not play that six months ago, Mm. and now I can play that thing. And and so, in trying to uncover these stories that are no longer helpful, if we shift the language over to stories that I just don't believe anymore, how we can go find those uh, is in part by having these people in our lives where it's safe to ask questions Mm. about and so as we get curious and go ask those people questions, we can we can explore that that space, because oftentimes what happens is we have these questions, but we're terrified to ask questions. And so we don't even ask them internally. And mm-hmm. so we compress them, compress them, compress them until we we just can't do it anymore. And we've wrecked ourselves. And so we discover them in some big, drastic way.
0: I think for me, like kind of on the so J- Jason, what I'm hearing you say is more along the lines of get perspective from community.
2: I would say cultivate the kind of community you can get perspective from first. I think that that's mm. that underlayer is really important. And there are people mm. in every community who can handle really hard questions and have their own people of all ages. You would be shocked in any community, the the range of actual ideas and opinions on stuff.
0: I think for me, from the original question being, how do we proactively search for the unhelpful narratives? And for me, I mean, other than just making space and time for it, which is kind of 101, but as simple as it sounds, and, and I just, <laughs> I even hesitate to say it because it just, it just sounds so basic but if something doesn't make you feel good then there's something there's a there's a story in there and there's something to be explored in that like the the fundamental belief of i am flawed as a four doesn't make me feel good so let's explore that and and that that belief infiltrates a lot of different decisions a lot of different ways in which i'm living out that belief but at the end of the day it's still the same it's still the same core principle. So if you can kind of drill backwards into the original, I don't feel good and I don't feel good because I don't think I like myself, that if you're able to drill into that, then it's going to fix a lot of external circumstances.
1: That makes sense, man. And I, and I think some of the, at least for me, some of the best work, even though it's some of the harder work I've done is is actually catching myself when I'm feeling those kinds of things, when those narratives are actually being triggered, if I can catch myself more so in the actual moment, you know what I mean? Like when Mm -hmm. I'm feeling the actual intensity of those things and engaging it then. So one of the ways that I was thinking about this is, uh, you know, anytime there is any level of intensity and duration of an emotion or a thought, that is usually something uh, that can be inquired upon mm-hmm. because that's speaking to something happening consistently inside of you. And anytime there's an intensity and in, in duration of, of something, there, to my knowledge, from what I've read and from what I've personally experienced, there is almost always some kind of limited story or narrative wrapped up in that. So whenever you can, say for example, I, maybe a year ago, I was driving, and I have this thing where immediate rage can come up for me when I miss a turn. <laughs> <laughs> like, just trying to get real practical here. Like, when I'm driving and I miss turns, I don't know what it is in me. I have a, I have a better understanding now, but there's just immediate rage that comes up for me, like, <sighs> you know, just the eruption. <laughs> and, and I don't do it with people in the car for, for the most part. You know, um, but it's like, what in the world? you know this is obviously not about this situation. <laughs> it's not about the turn, yeah, it's not about the turn. uh, there's another phrase where if it's hysterical, it's historical, so, um, oh, that's great. Any time there's intensity or duration, there is a narrative that is wrapped up in that, and I think those are the moments when you can ask yourself what am I believing right now? What narrative is playing in my mind? So I remember asking myself, this is obviously not about the turn. What's going on here? And I, a couple years ago, this is still a thing that plays deeply in me, but I have a fundamental fear of being seen as incompetent and inadequate. And if I was either one of those, I would not have missed the turn. What, what, is, mm, what yeah. is wrong with me? Um, and, and obviously, that, so that, that's not about the term. That's about something, one thing, or a, probably more likely a collection of things from my past that told me, you know, if I was competent and if I was adequate enough, I would have figured that out. I would be perfect with my driving all the time. You know, where I learned that, I don't know. But there's something about that, that in, in real time, I can work with that. You know, I can feel that and I can then start to associate the story with it and then actually legitimize it or not. Yeah, I can say, am I? Is that true? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true at all, actually. You know, I, but I, I was believing it. But doing that, working with that, every time that comes up, starts to, starts to lessen the intensity of how you work with that, I think. Does that make sense? Makes mm-hmm. absolute sense. I would say
2: how that that plays out for me is when people question my motives or when I'm worried about people questioning my motives. And a specific instance of this was going to a, a friend's reception, wedding reception. And they were some neighbors of ours and, you know, we were kind of acquaintances, but like we didn't, I wouldn't have considered us really close, but we show up and we're like one of 12 people. And they immediately were, they were just excited when they saw us there and they said, Hey, we want to get you shots. And we're like, okay, great. And then they're like, Hey, let's get a picture. And this was at a point where I, because of, of some of the places I've left, I would not have publicly said that I drink. Hmm. And in that moment, I realized that this was potentially going to be a problem. This is going to get on social media. I'm going to get a phone call of some sort. And I had to think, why why is this bothering me so much? Hmm. And, you know, that's where I, I realized that sense of, oh, I'm worried about people not understanding what I'm trying to do in the world. And from the angle I was trying to get to was essentially that Jesus wants to celebrate with people and I want to celebrate with these people and I have no qualms about how we're celebrating. So why am I so worried about this? So I'm like, we're doing this, get the picture, this, you know, blurry night sort of picture <laughs> posted on social media. And sure enough, I got a phone call. Like three days later. Wow. <laughs> so that's that's a way in which I had to dig down, uncover what the actual issue was, and then put up healthy boundaries when I got the phone call. Hmm. And essentially what I said to them was, hey, here's three people that you can call if you're concerned about the direction of my life. The person who had a problem with it had not spoken to me in years. So I just put up some boundaries and said, "Here's some people who we probably would both trust, and they can tell you what I'm about. You know, otherwise,
1: have a nice day." Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Could I? If what I just heard from you was a really well, I'll put it this way. Maybe you've heard of Tara Brock. She's got this uh, acronym that's really helpful that I pretty much just heard you did. She calls it "Rain," which stands for Recognize, <laughs> Allow, Investigate, and Nurture. What I heard you did was you recognized. Whatever that was that was coming up, uh, you allowed it to happen rather than like pushing it down or avoiding it or reacting from it without blind with blindness. And then you investigated, what is that? What's going on here? You picked up what the story was, and then you actually nurtured yourself and the environment in which you were trying to cultivate now as a healthier person by putting up boundaries. So I think that is kind of a practice that we could that could be helpful for looking for these moments using the acronym RAIN. Uh, what was it again? Create. Yeah, I keep that's blanking.
0: Good. Recognize, allow, investigate, nurture.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if I could, with one more thing, this is something a practice I did a couple of years ago that was super helpful for me. When I first uncovered that my greatest fears are basically incompetence and and inadequacy within the three frameworks that I exist in the most as a father, as a husband, and as a uh, as a pastor. So, think about the last twenty four hours. And write down all of the situations that happened in the last twenty-four hours. And now, uh, put on the other put this on a piece of paper. and Put one side that all this, the situations that happened, and put on the other side of the piece of paper all the emotions that were associated with each one of these situations. And then start to look at the, those emotions. What what are those? And you are going to uncover. You are going to be, begin to see a, th- a thread. I think that that can begin to name the narratives that you are believing in those areas that you're you're trying to perform, that you're trying to manage whatever that fear is. Does that make sense? So, I started to uncover, wow, there's a lot of loneliness, there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of sadness in each of these areas because I'm trying to you know, cover something, I'm trying to look like something, I have some sort of performative identity where I'm managing uh, and compensating for what I'm afraid of, actually, most happening. And I think if you can kind of begin to uncover those by just looking thinking about the last twenty four hours and your emotions associated with those those things, you can begin to uncover some of that. Well and to bring cool. it back to the the whole conversation
2: around dropping stories, the one of the things that I've seen is that oftentimes people aren't going far enough. So they're they're sort of down two or three layers. And again, like trying to wrap it tightly with the bow and say, I'm dropping this story. Well that story wasn't the problem. It was down mm. three more layers. And it was something like, I'm worried that people are going to make assumptions about my motives. And, you know, you can spend a lot of time, you can take a big... We have this thing in software where when you're architecting something, bugs that get introduced at the foundational layer can cost you a 100 times the amount of time and energy to fix Hmm. after you get like three layers in. Hmm. And so... Again, this goes back to how you start something. What you introduce into that first layer can be really hard to unwind. And you can save mm-hmm. yourself a lot of pain by saying, okay, you know, going through that that rain example and, and holding it loosely and trying to get beneath that, trying to get beneath that, trying to get beneath that down to, I feel incompetent or I'm afraid of being incompetent, et cetera, et cetera. I think that can just save you a lot of pain down the road so so to sum
0: up our conversation i think the the whole concept of dropping your stories what what we're not meaning is ignoring trying to get rid of everything that you don't want to be a part of anymore but rather it's it's dropping it so that you can know how to hold it again and, and knowing how to integrate it and see where it's valuable and where it's not yeah that's that's the biggest Hopefully that is the takeaway of this conversation for anyone listening.
1: And I wondered, though, if we need to say something around the lines of of sometimes trauma, sometimes these things are traumatic, and it is very important that you do the work where you actually do just leave that thing entirely for a period of time.
2: Yeah, there was there was a part of the conversation around the intensity of the situation, that mm-hmm yeah sometimes you just need to get out <laughs> fires on ho- the house is on fire. get out.
1: yeah,' because like you said it earlier, Creek, there's a form of spiritual bypassing. yeah, I just think this uh, talking about it only from a spiritual perspective can be really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. like from a psychological perspective, there's a reason we we can't stick around anymore if if I can say this, there's something about what it looks like to grow with the idea of how we are becoming more whole in that wholeness actually looks like more complexity. And what it means to mature is to hold the complexities of our lives and to be united with them, not divisive, you know, in division with parts of ourselves. That's what it means to become more whole. Uh, As uh, Dan Siegel, who's just a smart psychologist, he does a bunch of stuff on the mind. He says that integration can be defined as the interweaving of differentiated parts. <laughs> and by that, by that, I mean, there's a way that we cannot integrate parts of ourselves until uh, we kind of pull them out and see them and allow the, the, uh, the complexities to exist together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I think that is, that's what a, what a, a more whole and mature person looks like having the capacity to hold the tension of seeming opposites but yeah it's learning to grow in unity with all the parts of ourselves which which my favorite definition you've heard this before creek of unity is diversity maintained and protected by love thanks
0: for listening to this episode of fathoms and enneagram podcast If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time.